This is Sean Murphy. You are listening to Radio Free Leader. Welcome to another episode of Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Burkus, best-selling author and recovering academic. And this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great content we don't share on the show by joining our community. Sign up on the show notes page for this episode at davidberkus.com slash 705 or text Radio Free to 33444. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit, a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox so you can listen in just one click. Again, that's davidberkus.com slash 705 or text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. Today's episode features Sean Murphy. Sean is a good friend of mine, the founder of the Switch and Shift community of thought leaders. He's also the author of The Optimistic Workplace, creating an environment that energizes everyone. Now, Sean has put together a fantastic book that argues that our best work is the product of a positive environment and that it's actually possible to transform a company into a positive environment. Now, you might not be in a position where you can transform the entire company, but you can create a pocket of excellence in your unit, on your team, or even just in yourself. And Sean is gonna show you how in this interview. So who are you and what do you do? So the boring answer would be I'm Sean Murphy and I'm a consultant, but uh, so who I am- Boring and vague answer, by the way. Yeah, right, right. It's Consulting like, is about as, as vague as Murphy. <laughs> yeah, right. And, is, and very common, too. So, um, so who am I? Well, I am a partner. I am a son. I am a business owner, writer, um, but someone who is very driven by purpose and meaning. Those are my two top values. Uh, but uh, what do I do? So I actually get the joy of writing and being able to share and spread ideas. And I also get the joy of speaking with people who are interested in, in learning how to actually turn work into something that is enjoyable. And I, I feel pretty fortunate that I get to have that kind of conversation with people. I run a business as well, so that's always fun. So, you, I mean, you don't want to talk about the business or about the optimistic workplace or anything? No, it's oh, fine. there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, that there's more to you than your resume, but we should probably <laughs> talk at least about the book. Okay, let's try that. So, uh, I uh, co-founded a company called Switch and Shift, and uh, my other co-founder has since moved on, but what uh, he's still alive. Uh, he's just moving on to other things. He's just in, he's just in L.A. now. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Totally kidding. <laughs> He's trying to make his way into the movies. Um, so Switch and Shift uh, started out as a blog. And what we have found is that it is really sticky. And so we've, we've branched out this year into uh, doing some consulting around how to actually increase social leadership within organizations. And this other piece that you mentioned, David, is uh, how do we help create positive work environments that allow for people to actually do their best work. Because what we like to do is we don't want to just talk about the fluffy stuff or the soft stuff. We want to be able to marry, you know, being able to create a positive environment to creating business outcomes that are important for the business growth. So let's talk about that, but let's actually start a little bit somewhere totally opposite of that. 
Okay. Which is okay. A weird thing to say, because because <laughs> I I don't know that I'm thinking back to you know six plus seasons of this show, and I'm remembering stuff in your book about emotional contagion, particularly negative emotional contagion, and how like how sticky emotions are. Yeah. Um. And I don't know that we've ever talked about it on the show. So let's talk about why. I mean, so one, there's the obvious like meaning and purpose and, and why it's important. There's like, the, there's like the top level cell that everybody nods their head. But I think there's deeper reasons of what's going on, even just in our day-to-day life and emotions that affects our overall satisfaction and performance. Let's talk about that. Okay. Anywhere you want to start <laughs> with that? <laughs> I don't know. What does that trigger in you? Let's talk about that. <laughs> So Todd Cashton wrote a book called The Upside of Your Dark Side. And uh, what I really, what that really got me thinking about is, you know, when we talk about optimism, that it tends to come with, I'm an optimistic person. And I see the world as possibility and goodness, and I love it. And there's nothing really wrong with that if we are paying attention to to what Todd Cashton calls the dark side, because the dark side actually holds some really important insights for all of us as leaders. Uh, and when we talk about what's the dark side, if you will, to optimism, instead of you know that negative emotional contagion that you alluded to, um, you know there is a necessity to make sure you're surrounded by people who might be the, the the negative ninja, as I call them, because they can actually uh, help illuminate some issues that we might overlook because we're thinking things are great around here and we don't necessarily need to worry about you know the 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 downsides of our ideas because our ideas are always great. They always turn out successful, and that's a recipe for disaster. And I think too, and this is sort of the reason I wanted to start here, is that. I mean, sometimes those negative ninjas are in charge, but when you when you bring up conversations about uh, particularly about optimism and uh, about a, a bunch of other things like this, you get the, the the negative ninjas answering back with the practicality argument, right? right? And just and exactly what you said, sort of the dark side is we're always optimistic, we're always thinking everything's great, everything's perfect. Like it's a really like I said, there's the top level we all sort of get it, but that top level also comes with a really easy like rebuttal, which is, well, but you, you need to be practical. We need to be talking about this quarter, blah, 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 blah. And so I think there's this much deeper discussion that comes on, and this is where maybe the, the meaning and the purpose and the, and the engagement and even, I think, um, where was it? One, there's one stat in the book that it's upwards of like 90% of the up-and-coming workforce talks about positivity being important and all of those sort of things right. that that we're not seeing this broader stuff going on underneath the surface that's hugely important, right? And if we just keep being if, – if we just keep having one side go optimism and one side going practicality, we're never actually going to drill down into the air, the bedrock that we need to, to actually make this change. Does that make sense or am I just overthinking your your book? Uh, no, it's an interesting. I don't think you're overthinking it. Uh, I'm, I do, I'm not underthinking it, am I? No. Okay. No. So, no. You're you're I'm right thinking, in the middle. I'm right where you are. Right. Need to be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think where you know the the realists you have had they've had their day, right? We've had great successes with traditional management practices that have built some amazing organizations. But what we're finding now is that people want to show up and have, you know, Gallup says that we spend a third of our life working. I think it's a little bit more than that, but let's 
just go with what Gallup says. They're a little bit more notable than I am. So if we spend a third of our life working, then people are starting to wake up to the fact that, hey, <laughs> I'm not just going to do time for money with you. I'm going to give give you my time, but I want something more in return than just uh, a salary or these benefits that you get me. I want to be able to actually feel like I'm making a difference. And you can't give people that sense of making a difference when you're doing what might be impossible work and just be practical at the same time. You know, there's got to be a sense of practicality, but a very strong sense of optimism to say, hey, can we do this? Holy crap, it scares the you-know-what out of me, but I think it's something that we can do. And we need to encourage that more in organizations if we're really going to remove the cap uh, off of performance and allow for people to explore ideas in a context that encourages them and actually allows for them to find fulfillment in what they're doing. Yeah, and and you, I mean, you the the subtitle talks about the idea of creating an environment that energizes everybody, and you talk a bit about that. That like there's when you have that that optimism, that positive outlook, like there's just more energy to your day than when you just have a strictly practical. Here's how we have to kind of do it. And earlier in this season, we had an interview with Tom Rath, and Tom Rath said this amazing thing at one point where he said, "I believe that every that people should leave the workplace with more energy than when they arrived in the morning." Which yeah. you, you never sort of hear. Like normally when we talk about energy, um, enjoyment, fun, like we talk about it like a balance. Like we make this assumption that work is supposed to drain you. And then the right. question about all, all of the other management questions are about how do we get people to show up or how do we get them to recharge enough or, or have enough energy before they show up to do the work so that we can drain it. And then they can recharge and drain and reach. And it's the, your his work and your work are really the only ones I've seen – in, in recent memory, um, I might be totally wrong, uh, or maybe I'm just not reading the right things, but are, are two of the best on this idea. Not that we should have enough energy when we show up for work, which a lot of people write about, but that we should actually have energy through that. Tom talks about it from sleep and health and whatever, but I love that you talk about it through that emotional aspect and through that element yeah. of bringing positivity and purpose and meaning to the workplace. And it really does have an emotional and energizing effect on people. Yeah, and, and I think just for those who need to have a sense of kind of, you know, there's some science, let me say that, there's some science behind what is, what goes on around uh, what positive emotion contagions are. So Barbara Fredrickson, who, um, I can't remember what university she's at right now, um, but she's done some work around positivity and what she has found and is that there's a, a link to uh, greater thinking when people experience positive emotions in their day. So my thinking is, okay, so positive emotions in my day, imagine putting that in the context of a work environment where as a leader, I pay attention to what kind of emotion I'm triggering in my people. You know, it requires a, bit, a, a little bit of self-awareness, maybe a bit of self-awareness, uh, but if I can help someone experience joy in the workplace through aligning their work with their strengths, say, for example, and that they are energized by the work that they do, what I get as a leader from this is what Barbara Fredrickson calls um, – uh, it broadens my mind, the, the positive emotion. So there's a physical impact on my brain that allows for me to increase and improve my creative thinking. 
thinking. It improves my strategic thinking. So there's this isn't just a, a group hug, hippie talk saying, hey, let's add some positivity. There is some science behind this showing that we do get a, a, a lift and there's a benefit to our performance, which absolutely is going to benefit an organization. Yeah, no, totally. And um, I feel like we this is one of those things that we sort of know, but we don't turn into practice or we don't and we don't know how to turn into practice until now until the optimistic workplace so thank you for that one of the <laughs> My um, pleasure. but but in some of the ways that we do it's a little more counterintuitive like one, one of the things i remember from the book was this idea that culturally we need to make sure that team is more important than individual which is not what you normally hear when we talk about um health and energy and emotion and all that sort of stuff we, we talk about giving individuals lots of different perks so we can make their individual life better and I love that you break on this idea that there are all sorts of amazing things that happen, purpose, meaning, but also emotion-wise that happen when we can create a culture that allows us to give our, ourselves towards a sort of a greater whole, if that makes sense. And it starts with this idea that the team is more important than the I, which is on one level is sort of like a, you know, a Vince Lombardi, there's no I in team <laughs> or whatever type of thing. But it, again, again, it's deeper than that. It's there's more going on here and there's more there's more need to stress that the team is more important than the individual than just performance, which is what Vince Lombardi meant. It's actually better for the individual to know that the team is more important than the individual. Yeah, you know, when I study the different organizations that are featured in the book, one of the themes that just came through the all of the interview data that I gathered was this belief that they have a greater responsibility to the people that they're working alongside to to do whatever they've been asked to do. And whether it's a sales team at Bamboo HR who you'll know, recognize that it's they're greater together than a superstar salesperson, that that is going to help them find greater fulfillment in the work that they do, as opposed to what we see so often is here are Sean's performance goals. Here's what Sean gets if he hits these performance goals. Well, what happens if we say, yeah, that's good because you know we need to make sure we're growing Sean and Sean's doing what we need for him. But imagine if we now say, well, let's fold in the team goal here, that if the team is able to reach these sales goals and the team is able to bring in this many new clients, imagine what that can do Imagine what we can do together. And that's just far more motivating and has a longer lasting effect on what I want to do in my day than just me hitting my own goals. But we don't celebrate that enough in organizations. It's, it's often the rugged individual who gets the, the focus and attention from, from management. Do you, th do you think some of that is, because you, you, know, you mentioned here are Sean's performance goals, do you think some of that is the kind of performance management system that we're in? I mean, not only, not, I mean, oh, yeah. so I have a whole chapter in my book on ditching performance evals, so I don't want to go on that rant, but just that mentality that it's individualistic when, I mean, some studies I've seen show that even upwards of 60% of the variance in individual performance is explained by the team or the organization that they're in, et cetera. So that begs this question of like, why is it even worth reviewing everything individually if so much of performance is also team centric? At the very least, we should be doing performance evals on both individuals and then one on the whole team. But we don't ever do that, or at least I, I don't know. Do we do that? Yeah. 
Uh, not very often. I don't know. Of a company. I, I was I, just. I, I was trying to remember if there's one in your book that does, but I don't think there's one even in your book mm-hmm. that says that. Why not? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's. I, I interviewed David Hassel, and David Hassel is the CEO of Fifteen Five. They're a software development company, and he and he they just released a an ebook on you know getting rid of the performance appraisal process. You might be interested in reading it. So what he said is it's well it's kind of like what we've always done right and he uses the analogy of this is in a sense of cooking a, uh, a pot roast so i was raised to cut the ends off of the pot roast and if you ask why do i do that you know you go to your mother who taught you that and your mother goes i don't know i taught i learned it from my mother's mother so go to your great grandmother and she says, well, I cut the ends off because it was the only way for me to fit it in the pan. But all this time, we've been cutting the best parts of the meat off, not knowing why we're doing that. And I think that's the same story with performance appraisals. We've, especially celebrating and trumpeting the individual effort. That's just what we've always done. That's how we've built organizational systems. And, and unfortunately, we've, we're finding that it doesn't, it's, it's a painful process that doesn't yield the results that individuals want, that teams need, and what the organization ultimately is looking for. Okay, so I guess that brings us to the big question. How do we fix all this? Well, so I am not a big believer that the CEO will announce that we are going to shift this because what ends up happening is his proclamation or her proclamation rolls down the hill you know, through layers of management, and by the time it reaches employees, it's just yet another, oh, here we go again. So what I am a firm believer in is creating what I call a pocket of excellence. As a leader, don't wait for someone to choose for you to make the work environment great. Do it yourself. Sit down and figure out, you know, and, you know, the optimistic workplace will certainly guide you through this. There's an optimism planner in the back of the book that says, here's what you can do in the first 90 days of choosing to to create an energizing work environment or an optimistic workplace. Let your results speak for itself. The nice thing is when people see that your team is performing really well and achieving its goals, people are going to inquire and go, what are you doing? And that's where that contagion comes into place because people want to be part of something that is successful. People want to be part of something that's good. So let your work speak for it. And I think that's a place to start. Now, would it be great that there could be a huge coordinated effort from organi- within an organization? Sure. And if that happens, fantastic. But I'm a realist as well as an optimist. And I think that realistically, your senior management team, they're more concerned about bigger picture items than figuring out how to create optimism in the workplace. Oh, look at you bringing it all home with realist and optimist. And and I think you're right. And I think you <laughs> you cut off, knowingly probably, cut off uh, the primary excuse I think a lot of people have, which is, oh, I'm not empowered to make these changes. Well, you're empowered at some level to make change. That's right. And if that's all you can do, that's all you can do. So create that kind of pocket of excellence as you talk about. Okay. That said, are you ready? So we, we're going to shift a little bit from talking about the book and optimism and how to make better workplaces and just talk about Sean Murphy. We have five questions right, for Sean Murphy. It. All right. Are you ready for this? All right. Question I'm, one. I'm ready. What's the best advice you've ever received? Hey, oh, goodness gracious. The best advice I ever received. Um, 
Well, I'm going to say uh, the advice that I received that never was told to me directly, but had it's been a cornerstone to my own way of living. Um, and Stephen Covey said once, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And that has been so crucial for me in my personal life in, in managing and handling difficult situations or difficult people. And it's definitely been helpful in my my professional life, uh, you know, I can be um, just like everybody else. I can get emotionally triggered, and this this belief of you know, seeking first to understand or seeking first to understand slows me down from getting emotional and just saying, you know what, let me understand where you're coming from, so that I get what you're trying to say to me, and then I want to make sure you understand what I'm trying to say to you. Hmm. Good advice. What's an average day look like for you? So I'm a morning person, and so the morning starts off with some meditation um, and then moves into uh, starting to go through my email. And when I'm really on my game, I get through all my emails, new, the new, new emails in the morning, and then I check it in the afternoon, and then I check it again before I sign off for the day. Um, I spend a lot of time uh, networking and uh, I tend to write every single day as well. So those are pretty average days for me. I, I uh, sorry, I got hung up there when you said you managed to write every single day. I'm quite jealous of that. I'm, <laughs> I'm a writer who has to chain myself <laughs> to the desk to get any writing done. Um, uh, opposite of writing, question three, what are you reading now? So I'm reading a couple books. One, there's this book called Under New Management. Mm, oh, by you. Oh, yeah. Uh, hmm. yeah. That uh, one's okay. So we're actually, it's actually, it's, I, I really like how you've laid it out. So, um, you know, you've taken some new management practices and really kind of dive deep into them. And it, the reason why I'm reading it for everybody is one, uh, you know, David is a great guy and he's got great thoughts, but we're going to be interviewing him. So... Uh, for our podcast called The Rebel Leader. Um, so I'm reading that, and then I'm reading Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic because I really like um, uh, this 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 idea of creativity, which I know you're very passionate about topic-wise. Um, I am. She's I'm, a, I'm not a fan of her title, but I am a fan of creativity. Yeah, the, the title Big Magic sounds a little too woo-woo. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's, she's a good writer. Oh, no, totally, totally. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for the kind words on under new management too. Um, Absolutely. What do you? So here's here's one of my favorite questions to ask people. What do you believe that most people don't? Um, I do not believe that there is. And so I'll keep this in the realm of leadership because it's the first answer that comes to mind. I don't believe a lick that there's a, such a thing as a, a well-rounded individual. Um, I'm a big believer and uh, practitioner of uh, strengths philosophy, you know, from the positive psychology arena. And, you know, a lot of us believe that in order for you to be an effective leader, you need to be well-rounded. And uh, the problem with that is that there are just elements of doing, you know, management, quote unquote, which is a word I hate. Um, sorry, David. Um, but there is just this you know, to, to pursue this well-rounded effort means that I've got to do things that I'm not very good at. And so I invest all my time in doing those things that I'm not very good at. And I only see a modicum amount of growth. Whereas a strengths philosophy says, focus on the areas where you're strong. They're energizing to you. You're going to grow more 
than you will in your weakness areas. Um, so it's that well-rounded piece. I just don't believe it. No, I, and I, I, so I would agree with you, even though most people don't. I think it's funny that even when we look at, like, we use the term renaissance man or renaissance woman to talk about <laughs> these well But even then, it's like what we actually mean is, no, you're, you're just good at three things. But, like, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's good at everything. No. Right. Or, or even average at everything. Like, and, and, you know, that was something that I think it takes a while as you're growing up to sort of embrace that idea of like, because I think school does it to you. And even like, you know, college gives you a Absolutely. broad curriculum of all sorts of stuff. Um, and then even when you get into a job, like you've started to niche down, but they still, they still have like six different categories on your performance eval and you're supposed to be good at all of them. In, and then the conversation is inevitably, how do you get better at this one you're not that good at? When the conversation should be like, how do I do less of that? Because I'm clearly not good at it, right? Right. Um, or, you know, whatever. There's a there's a whole thing we could go into with growth versus fixed mindset there. But even then, I think it's not where even if you have a growth mindset, you have to also realize you're not going to grow everywhere. You're going to grow in the areas where that you're already kind of good at, that you that you feel strong doing, et cetera. So yeah. I'm yeah. right there with you. You and me against the world. Hey, um, let's take them on. So final question. The title of the show is Radio Free Leader. In your view, what makes someone a leader? Ooh, good question. Uh, what makes a person a good leader? You know, I think a good leader is, is ultimately selfless in the sense that the, a leader, whether it's in your, in your church or whether it's in your organization, they're they see the world through uh, what is possible for you as an individual and that they have a responsibility to help you uh, live into your potential. And I think that's what makes a good leader is somebody who doesn't see people as, well, this is what I need from you so that I can do what I need. It's I'm here to help you to be ultimately you know, to be your best. Um, so I think a good leader is selfless. Those are great thoughts. And I think that's a, that's a great answer. Let's, um, as we wrap up, you had already mentioned the name of your podcast now is called the rebel leader, which is sort of selfless, but also a rebel, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then where else can people, uh, find out more about you? Yeah. So there's a couple of places you can go. So, um, I am active on Twitter. So I'm the Sean Murphy at the Sean Murphy. Uh, the only reason why it's at the Sean Murphy is because Sean Murphy and every other variation of Sean Murphy was taken. So that one wasn't. Um, I can be reached via email, uh, Sean, and it's S H A W N at switchandshift.com. Uh, I am, I have a weekly column on inc.com. So it's called Positive Business. So I write about all sorts of things around how do you create a, a positive work environment and help businesses be successful. And uh, I also can be found on LinkedIn. So I think those are good places to start. I have a book website called The Optimistic Workplace. So if you're interested in some of these ideas, certainly go check out the book's website. You'll be able to download a free chapter as well as uh, The Optimism Planner, which is uh, a portion from the book. Oh, awesome. Sean Murphy, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. Thanks for having me, David.